Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action, a podcast where people share their stories about meaningful, planet-friendly work in their local communities. They share their paths of green action and the ways they have applied their own talents, interests, and all types of green projects, jobs, businesses, volunteering, and careers. Today in our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who has made it his mission to study and practice methods and products that facilitate healthy, productive farms and regenerative land care. I'm speaking with Cuauhtémoc Landeros, who has worked and lived in multiple areas of California and Mexico. Cuauhtémoc is academically and physically engaged in the fields of sustainable landscaping, organic farming, permaculture, agroecology, soil, food, web biology, Korean natural farming, and permaculture. He was part of a small group that started SimSoil, which has developed products that increase the diversity and abundance of beneficial soil microorganisms for healthy soil. He has studied regenerative methods directly with experts in their fields, such as agroecology with Sepp Halzer, soil biology with Dr. Elaine Ingham, and mycology research with Paul Stamens at his facility in Washington. He has worked with farms, compost facilities in production and product development with SimSoil. With SimSoil, he has been involved in producing and applying teas, extracts, top dressings, soil mixes, and mother cultures. He has also managed tilth with cover crops, sheet mulching, and boosting fertility with these multiple methods. He has found it truly inspiring how healthy soil is a momentous pulse that builds upon itself and in short gets better and better as you nurture and care for it. Welcome to the show, Quatamok. Thanks, Jenny. Pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path to build soil biology and facilitating regenerative agriculture. So what planted the seeds for you to want to take some kind of green action initially? Well, it all started um, at Santa Barbara City College, and I was kind of taking an assortment of different classes. And then um, I started doing green gardening and like it was like a certificate program there. And so we did all kinds of, you know, different works in that field from hardscapes to landscapes to water systems and um, became like a parent that if you create a a good environment, then your, your, your plant systems will be happier. And that kind of sparked it. And then after that, um, I went to Quail Springs, which is like an ecological kind of a learning center outside of Ojai. And I took my permaculture design course with uh, Darren Daugherty and Jeff Lott with the Permaculture Research Institute in Australia. And he he was kind of the prodigy from Bill Mollison. And yeah, and those guys gave me this incredible download. And what was really amazing about that was that the the reality that waste is non-existent in the natural world and that it's a resource and that as you work with things, you know, as you cultivate them, then if you do it in respect to the natural laws, then those things increase in their diversity, in their capacity, um, in, in the literal physics of, you know, that environment or that space or that plant, it becomes better. It's, it's really a pretty beautiful thing. And so that kind of sparked it. Um, it was like, wow, you can actually, it gets better if you treat it right and you do it you know, with respect and integrity to the natural system. So that kind of kicked, yeah, kicked it off. And then I kind of went on the 
quest for sustainability. As a child, did you ever visit a farm or did you grow up on a farm or? Yeah, I grew up on a farm. My mother was, um, she was a really avid gardener and she's a herbalist and Ayurvedic clinical specialist and aromatherapist. And so we kind of grew up like that pretty much um, pretty natural. You know, if you get sick, you take the tinctures and you drink the tea and, you know, you drink the fire cider and you cut out sugar and all that kind of stuff so definitely there's um like a connection there of like well okay like if you strengthen your immune system then you're better able to deal with pathogens you know internally and then um as you as i kind of branched out into the you know other fields of science or into agriculture land kind of management stuff it's the same kind of a um, pattern that you find is that if you strengthen its immune system integrity and give it a really diverse resource, um, you know, mineral resource, medicinal resource to pull off of, then it becomes stronger and healthier and it's more able to deal with these pathogens. And so from human, you know, microbiome to soil microbiome, it's, it's pretty parallel. And yeah. That's very interesting. So for those who are not familiar, tell us a little bit about um, Sepp Holzer. Yeah, so Sepp Holzer is um, from Austria, and he's an agroecologist, and he's done some really beautiful work uh, where he's able to kind of change the microclimates in an area. And he's growing lemons and the um, Austrian Alps. And um, he's able to, he's, he kind of like coined and termed hugel culture, which is mound farming. But um, funny enough, like my part of my background is Cherokee and Cherokee were uh, farming Native Americans and they actually used to do mound farming as well. So it's that mound farming comes from indigenous peoples uh, from the Americas and I'm sure other parts of the world as well, because we know people have been farming for quite a long time. Um, and so it was cool to like kind of get that connection and be like, oh, wow, okay, what he's doing, this is like, and he, Sep always, you know, when he speaks or like when he shares, he's like, hey, like these are indigenous practices. He's very like respectful of that. And he, you know, does a lot of like honors that as well. So that was really cool to see someone who's, you know, from, you know, industrial developed country being like, yeah, this, this comes from indigenous people. Like I really respect that. And so that was nice to hear him. But yeah, so he basically can like modify the physics of an area to to grow different types of crops using rocks and ponds and, um, you know, trees and bushes to catch cold drafts and currents. And um, also, you know, using that hugel culture um, methodology, he's able to reduce the water um, needs of an area. You can kind of cut your water usage by like 30% and um, you can farm basically on wood and then after like two to three years, it's broken down and it's basically potting soil at that point. So you can then take it and put it into pots or put it into something else and redo the process and or just add wood back into that system and then kind of continually like you're growing soil basically while you're farming on it, while you're reducing your water needs, which is pretty cool, um, you know, capacity there to stack those functions and have multiple returns for your effort, which. Yeah. You know, I always, yeah, I say permaculture and like sustainability in general, it's capitalist in its nature, meaning it's the minimum input for the maximum output, but it's done with respect to the natural environment. That's the, you know, the one thing. Yeah. Economics. Yeah, can that's well on. said. Yeah. Um, so from my own reading about Dr. Lane Ingham and others work in soil biology, I was interested to learn 
how like microbially active healthy soil helps plants to absorb minerals and nutrients from the soil. Can you explain a little bit more how that also increases nutrients in foods? Yeah, it's actually really amazing how it works. So, you know, the with some of my other um, soil associates, there's a, there's many different techniques, right? There's the Korean natural farming. You know, the art of ferment is 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 as old as agrarian man, and um, you know, soil food web and you know, mound farming, all these different things, right? But the main point is that there's a micronization happening, right? And how small a bacteria, a fungi, a protozoa, how, how incredibly small those things are when they process and break down and consume, chelate different rocks and minerals and particles, you know, organic matter, then those minerals have been micronized and they have been coated with enzyme and, um, you know, microbiology because even those microorganisms have microbiology in their you know digestive system so now you have a micronized coated mineral has added enzymes on it and the way that plants uptake nutrients and minerals is like very fine and very small particles almost ionically you could say um, through the root hairs which are also very very small and so if you can break the material down small enough, it can directly pass into the root system. And if you have a diversity of microorganisms, the full soil food web, ideally, then you're basically unlocking the periodic table. And when you unlock the periodic table, then your, your plants can really fully express their, their true um, genome sequence. They can really grow to their full capacity because they have access to everything that they need. They have all the minerals and resources. So nothing's really holding them back because that is a thing in, in, in um, agriculture that, you know, they say like, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Well, you can only have growth as strong as your lowest mineral resource, right? You're, so... Just to touch on it a little bit, what are maybe, you know, a little bit of the insights that you gain from studying the microorganisms, uh, like with Dr. Elaine Ingham with the microscope to analyze the, the conditions of the soil um, microbial life? Well, there's a few things. Um, like you start to look at fungi and, um, you know, you can, you can tell like the beneficial fungi is there's your, um, there's your senses that you use, right? Where you're like, oh, it smells like fresh and robust. And you're like, oh, it smells a little soggy or moldy, right? And then you dive in deeper with your microscope and you can see, oh, like this fresh smelling, robust forest smell has fungi in it that's it has thick, um, thick septa and um, it's, you know, it has long, long kind of um, well-segmented um, mycelial strands and, you know, the color of it is kind of like darker tan to brown and, and you can start to correlate that with your, you know, physical senses and then you look into the stuff that smells kind of, kind of just like wet socks or just a little kind of stinky or doesn't really have that kind of freshness to it and then you dive in deeper with your microscope and you're like oh there's there's water molds in here that are like pathogenic and the way that they look their structure is very like broken glass and it's um very sporadic and it's much less organized and it's much less neat and um and it's interesting to correlate that with like wow like you know beneficial fungi is is 
a little more um, well put together in its form and its presentation. So let me ask you, so you started or created SimSoil with um, some other people. Um, so at that point, you probably, I'm guessing, were very aware of the potential of um, boosting soil microorganisms. And so as you set off to do this, did you have some like challenges of like how to keep the soil biology alive? You were then trying to disperse this to other places, like whether you put it in a tea, like do you, do you, were you all kind of acutely aware of like time and temperature and things like that so that you could keep that soil um, those soil microbes alive while you were bringing them to various places? Definitely, yeah. Just, um, you know, microorganisms are sensitive just like people and in any kind of farming operation, there's like, you know, climatic restraints and or things that you have to like try to navigate and, and moisture management, you know, was a big one for us. Um, is a big one, you know, and it's, that's like, if you can hit the sweet spot of that 50% moisture range then things can kind of grow and push really well. And when it drops down below that 50 range or it goes into a drought mode, that's, um, you know, it can actually trigger like sporulation or it can kind of make, um, you know, the whole operating system kind of shut down and it'll just see because it's like worried, you know, for its life or it's thinking that it's the end of this, you know, growth pattern. And so it's trying to seed and, and, and you know, seed itself and its progeny so that it can continue to, to grow. Um, so let me ask you, so um, you've created these um, things in your facility mm -hmm. and now like you let's say you've taken compost and you've created a compost extract or a compost tea and then you need to transport this to various farms do is there like a like a period of time that you have that you can move them to another place before you know they're in danger of of dying off or like is it like a very temperature sensitive and time sensitive um, type of operation? Uh, the, the tea itself, once you actually brew a tea, you have, you know, it's depending on temperature, mostly um, the hotter it is, kind of the faster that it spoils. But if you brew a tea, um, also if, depending if you put a bunch of different types of nutrients and, and things in it that can spoil, then it's going to spoil faster, right? And if it's hotter, it'll spoil faster. But there's usually about a, you know, two to four hour window range once you've brewed tea to where it can kind of keep at that, you know, optimal level. And then after that four hours, it kind of starts to decrease. So you really want to brew it and get it out there. Um, you don't want to leave it in a tank for days because it'll go, there's no air, you know, so it's, it kind of loses its oxygen and then your anaerobes come in there and do their job. Um, so with that said, um, so let's say that you have a farm that wants, you know, a certain quantity of the, of the tea or the extract. So then do you make that batch for that farm and then kind of make an arrangement to get it there on time? And so it's like, is it consciously um, thought out about that to kind of make it effective? Yeah, definitely. Or, you know, people will buy the solid product itself and we can go there and help them brew the tea, throw it out. And that's kind of the best way for transportation. 
fermentation or for prolonged usage, you can just get the bulk product itself and then you can brew it, you know, on, on your site and you can, you know, be able to manage that. And, but people don't have the equipment or they're not interested in, you know, doing that, then we can come and help them, um, you know, run that process and have a really nice brewer that extracts really, really well and really fast. And, um, but we're open to all the different, you know, possibilities thereof. And, right. So it sounds like having something like this strategically in lots of different areas across the world, really, um, is something that will make it more effective to be having more projects of regenerative agriculture and even landscaping in people's yards and things like that. Would, would you say that that's true in that perspective? Oh, yeah, definitely, because it's just like a bioregion where you have um, a specific soil type or you have a specific temperature range or you have a specific type of a plant and animal kingdom, each one of those locations is going to have its unique microbiome as well. All those organisms have been adapted to that area and that region. And, um, really kind of makes you look at things like, oh, this watershed, right? Or, oh, this soil type. I know in the wine world, they call it the terroir. And in the cannabis realm, they're calling it the Appalachia, I believe. And these are what, these are the zones, these are the microbiomes that are specific to regions. And they define um, flavor and they define, you know, quality. And um, so definitely it's like, it's, it's should be based on your, on your microbiome, on your bioregion, you know. Oh because that's what lives and grows there. That's fascinating. So do you, so in the areas that you're operating in, do you like take different samples in different natural areas to kind of assemble those varieties of or increasing the diversity? Yeah, that's where the uh, Korean natural farming is really amazing um, because you can actually go and kind of collect microbes from the forest and you get them to colonize on some partially cooked rice. And then you can take that and then you can run it through the compost process and um, kind of, you know, not sterilize, but you can, you know, get rid of most of the pathogens in there via the heat thermophilic compost process. And then you have a collection of the local, you know, microbiome in whatever area you collected from. And then from there, you can take that and put it in a liquid concentrate and put that into compost and kind of grow it out. And nice. it's, yeah, what we found is actually one of the best ways to make compost better and to keep it alive. I mean, other than moisture, obviously, is uh, to have cover crop on it because the sugar pump that's happening from the plants and the diversity of sugars that come from these different photosynthesis processes those sugars are what feed the microbes as well, right? So if they have the sugar, it's a sugar exchange, you know, it's, it's a sugar trade. And so where you have a diversity of cover crop of different types, right? From, from grasses to peas to, you know, all, all these, these different types, then you'll have a better diversity of microbes in there. And sometimes they will even come, right? It's like, there's all these like, oh, if you build it, they will come. It's like, oh, well, they, they kind of do end up showing up. And, you know, if you treat it right, it gets better. And you're like, oh, wow, it's like kind of like 
parallels into like many other aspects of our like emotional life, mental, you know, all these different things. You're like, wow, it's like, it's, oh, it's all, it's a big circle. Like, go figure, you know? <laughs> so, 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 and, and, in doing this with SimSoil, um, with these other people. So what might, might've been some of the challenges that you faced in some of your projects and, um, helping to actualize this and also to reach people in the community to make it available to them, but also for them to understand the potential. Yeah. I think some of the bigger challenges usually, um, usually can be like logistics, like somebody's like, um, you know, cause we're all busy. Right. And, and you have a job and that keeps you busy. And then, you know, if you're like, Oh, here, add another job to your job. And sometimes people are just like, Oh, uh -oh, you know, like I'm already so busy. So kind of finding the right way to integrate, you know, having a mother culture pile or like tending your compost and, you know, creating tea is like something that, you know, to be able to find a way to fit that into somebody's schedule or into somebody's like space or environment um, can definitely have some challenges. And, and also, you know, a lot of farmers that we talk to that are come from the like industrial chemical agriculture, like framework, they're like, what, you want me to make juice out of this dirt and spray it on my field? It's kind of like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you talking about? And, you know, so sometimes in permaculture, you know, we do say that the most difficult ground to change is sometimes the ground between the ears, you know, because it's like, oh, well, I've been doing this like this since, since, you know, my grandpappy and like, and respect, and that's totally awesome. And, but, you know, evolution is a thing that, that waits for no being. And it's awesome to see, you know, as, it's awesome to see that it's changing. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's because there's problems and issues that come up and they're like, oh, we need to change. We're having like major climate issues. We should change some of our methodologies of production here. And, um, you know, so it is the it is the bright side of that. That's like, oh, like now this, like, you know, there's a necessity to have this work a little bit healthier and better. And Yeah, I'm looking at it more holistically and yeah, overall health, not just the one veggie that we're trying to grow. <laughs> Exactly. It's integrative. And I mean, we say the soil is like your bank, you know, like that is literally next to water and sunshine. Like the soil is the matrix and it is the most important and it's kind of your most valuable asset as a farmer, because if you take care of it and you treat it really well, it gets better and it doesn't deplete and it doesn't salinate and it doesn't compact and it you know, I mean, I've heard stories over in Italy on these like beautiful terraced hillsides and they've been farming on those spots for 10,000 years and they're productive and they're wonderful and they're great and it still works. And it's like, wow, you know, yeah, if we're doing so, it right, it truly is sustainable. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, because it's like there's millions of years of evolution and engineering that has like evolved and coalesce to make it like this and the machine is very mighty without a doubt however like this process is also very mighty because it has stood the test of time so so what might be some things that have helped you make it through those challenges like do you maybe like offer consultations or teach classes or um you know like how do you help educate people um, on what you have and how it's working yeah, definitely all of the above. 
um, this is, is what we like to do and we're super willing and, um, you know, just, just even for fun sometimes. And it's always great to get together people who are willing and wanting and, you know, would like to learn and share and even connecting them with, you know, back with, um, I know like Elaine, she has a, a new school that they're putting up and it's all online and it's like really information rich. And um, so, yeah, between from workshops to um, just connecting with people in the community to um, recommending, you know, readings and, and classes from people that are even, you know, far more advanced than myself is uh, definitely great ways to just kind of continue to foster that um, understanding. So, so if your ideas, your experience, and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others, what advice would you give to someone that's considering this in their local year? Um, it would be to start working with a space, right? Start working with a piece of land and, you know, intend it and take care of it and treat it really good and work with it and watch it and do different things to it that um, that are beneficial for it, right? That are healthy, that are, you know, ecologically integrous to it and, and like befriend it and you will like learn and grow from it and you will see the change and you will be able to tell the texture and you'll be able to watch how fast the water absorbs into it or you'll see how easy things grow out of it or um, because that gives you the tactile, like really visceral experience and you end up like kind of the satisfaction of like, oh, I took care of this and it got better. It's like when you have a little dog or a little kid or something and you're like, wow, like you think you're nicer now or you're friendlier, you can, you know, do a trick because, you know, like we work together. And and then the other piece would also be, um, yeah, like reach out to other gardeners and farmers and um, look at, you know, different scientists and see what kind of work they're doing and see what kind of like practices they have and see what, you know, works for them because, you know, everywhere is different and there's different soil types, there's different pests in different area that just kind of like live there and habitate there. And there's really awesome little tricks that, you know, you can learn as well. And just to get the diversity of ideas and perspectives and, um, and knowledge, you know, it's like, it's so worth it. What might be um, some ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards of your work? Well, I guess it would be just to see um, different farms and different ecosystems and um, different plantings get better and be healthier and, you know, talk to the people and they're stoked and, and they're like, wow, these like to see some of the like trial differences where you're like, wow, this like grew really well or, to hear from a farmer that's like oh yeah like we planted these trees and we use biochar and compost and there's a significant difference or just uh, to hear of people being like yeah my soil is so healthy and i'm actually having to pull worms out of it and put them other places because they're like overflowing and i'm like wow that's really cool you know what would what would be maybe a resource um, that you recommend a book or website maybe that's been particularly helpful or informative to you well, there's a few of them. Uh, one of them is Fungi Perfecti, and that's Paul Stamets' website, and it has information and equipment and spores and 
mycelium and all kinds of things and tons of information. He's, he's a very information rich man. And um, so fungi perfecti, um, there's pureknf.org and that's a natural farming, Korean natural farming website. And they have um, classes and they have all of the recipes and the processes and that's a great resource as well. Um, Mycelium Running is a book by Paul Stamich, which talks about all kinds of micro-remediation and micro-restoration and um, just a lot of wonderful like practices and things that you can do on the ground. There's a book called Grasp the Nettle with Peter Proctor, and um, its main focus is biodynamic preps. And but it's really great because it walks you through them and it explains them and what they're for and it's like easy. It's not like a really really like crazy dense textbook, you know. Read. It's like pretty pretty user friendly and digestible. And the other one, the final one, is how to grow more vegetables with John Jevons, and he's a hybridization between French intensive and um, and biodynamic farming and. He actually gives you these wonderful data tables on small, medium, high yields, their timing, spacing, um, what season they like to grow in, how many weeks to maturity, how many weeks from seed to, to planting. And um, so it's just, you can just literally go through the data. You can pick a vegetable, go through the data table and really be able to quantify it pretty well for your particular space. Or if you're like, oh, I only have, this much square footage or only have these many pots that I can use, then you can get, you know, kind of a pretty good understanding of like what your potential yields might be and the potential steps that you might want to take to do that. That's, that's excellent. So how can people contact you as SimSoil and um, find out more? Well, people can, I mean, I'm open to calls and emails and all of that. Some soil is a little bit hibernating right now. So, you know, you could reach out to me directly would be, uh, would be fine. Well, if you'd like, um, we'll, we'll add that to the show notes so people can um, have the websites and contact information for you. Um, yeah, but I want to thank you so much for sharing all this. You're obviously a wealth of knowledge and um, really appreciate your sharing this and love of the earth and really trying to cultivate it and helping it to thrive so thank you yeah jenny thank you for creating this wonderful program that you do and thanks for joining us for local share green action until next time let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people